tuned in to City Speak with Max Masutifarkas. In my conversation with Saski Assassin in season three of this podcast, Professor Sassen said that the city is, quote, a tough place. At the time, Professor Sassen was making this claim referring to a specific group of urban dwellers, namely workers and commuters struggling day to day to get by. But now her words may well apply to another important constituency in the life of cities. Children. A study published by the Barcelona Institute for Global Health found an association between living in cities and the cognitive health of children. The lead author of the study, Anclea Binter, joins us to explain her findings and to offer a note of optimism on the potential for urban design to enhance, not harm, the health of children. Stay tuned. Anne-Claire Binter, welcome to CitySpeak. Thanks, Max. I'm glad to be here. So as you and I were corresponding in preparation for this episode, you made it very clear to me that your area of research is in public health and that you are not an expert in urban planning or development. But even so, your recent research very directly implicates urban planning So I'm wondering how you first became interested in that intersection. Was it by happenstance or was there something in your own life, perhaps through your experience living in large European cities like Barcelona, that sparked this interest? So that's true. I'm an environmental epidemiologist. That means that I'm studying population health and its determinants. And um, my main interest in research was about child health and development, especially the brain. And what it's uh, what are the environmental determinants? From my personal point of view, I was born and I grew up in a city in France. Then I moved to Barcelona, which is the second largest city in Spain. And at the beginning, I had concern and the question of another ordinary citizen, like what is the fastest way for me to go to college, to go to my lab? What is the safest road as a cyclist? to travel. As I grew up and learned about human health, I started wondering what are the consequences of the environment on my health. And then I wanted to study more specifically the urban environments, because as an epidemiologist, when we talk about environment, it could be very broad. It's a very broad term that encompasses social context, chemicals, biological, medical conditions. And I think that the urban environment will interact and will be at the intersection of all these aspects of the environment. As someone who was born in New York and grew up in L.A., I've heard countless friends and acquaintances who were raised in places outside of major cities, like in suburban or rural areas, tell me something to the effect of, I could never imagine growing up in New York, or I could never imagine growing up in LA, or I could never imagine growing up in Barcelona. To be fair to those friends, when you see things like traffic, pollution, the kinds of deep poverty that exists in major cities, it's almost easy to understand why they might think that cities aren't great places for children. Did this factor into the motivation behind your recent research publication at all? Yes, of course. In fact, the research in for children's health has increased over the last decades. 
because we know now that children are particularly vulnerable to their environment. First, because they are still developing during the pregnancy life, of course, but even during the childhood. So the hassles in this period of time could have permanent damages on their life. Second, we know also that uh, the defense mechanisms that are supposed to protect the children are not fully mature. For example, the, the placenta, which is the tissue that connects the mother to the fetus, is not a barrier. For example, we know that alcohol can cross the placenta and have consequences on the child. And some studies have shown that the marker of the air pollution were also found in the fetal part of the placenta. Wow. That's particularly interesting to study the child because it's even more vulnerable than adults to the environment. To some extent, we can consider, even if it's not completely true, it's not that simple, but that alcohol, tobacco and drug consumption during pregnancy are individual behaviors. But it's not the case for urban environment and air pollution. Even if everyone was able to move out of the cities during pregnancy and to live, let's say, in the pollution-free areas. Well, urban planning still matters because even if suburban or rural areas, you still have traffic, you have cars, you have problematic of accessing to natural spaces. So it's not true that you can be in a perfect places. And in reality, we all know that the economic capital, the money you have, will be highly dependent on your capacity to move out of the cities. So because it's not about individual behavior and because of the social inequalities, it's really important that public health policy will act to decrease our pollution, to decrease traffic, and to increase the opportunity of healthy lifestyle, such as physical activity or also the sense of security. It's not a matter of individual. It's interesting to think about how the impressionability of a child in its developmental stage can actually, as you're arguing, act as a sort of index or barometer of the relative health of the surroundings, especially in urban environments. Is that right? Yeah, that's true. Even if it's not that easy from a research perspective to disentangle all these factors because all acts together. So it's very difficult to say, okay, it's this child has that type of problem because of air pollution or different indicators. And you also have the temporality. For now, we tend to consider that the pregnancy and the first year of childhood are the most vulnerable, but we are not sure yet about the exact windows of susceptibility. So we think that in the global environment will have an effect on the child health, but it's almost impossible so far to determine exactly which is the most relevant indicators. Let's talk now about the methodology used in your research, as I believe you've said that it's never been used in this specific context before. That methodology is known as an exposome approach. What is the exposome approach and how was it used in your research here? Up to now, most studies were focused on one type of exposure, for example, air pollution. But we know, as I was saying before, that all exposure will interact together. So here we wanted to consider a large set of exposure 
So we have investigated 13 urban exposure from pregnancy until age three years, including built environments. So it could be indicators of facility density, building density, facility richness, connectivity, so the number of intersections, proximity to public transport, etc. Also, the natural spaces, how much greenness you have around your home, the distance to major green and blue spaces. So green spaces, basically it's park gardens and blue spaces will be more lake, river. We wanted to consider them together with air pollution because you can imagine that the more road you have around your home, the higher will be the air pollution. Oppositely, if you have more trees, it will decrease the air pollution. So we wanted to consider all of it to be able to give more clear messages to stakeholders. It's not only to say air pollution is bad for children's health, but it's to say that if we consider urban planning differently, we will be able to decrease air pollution and then to improve the health of the child. So now for the big reveal, what kind of sample did you look at in this specific research? For example, how many children, where were they located? And ultimately, what were your findings regarding the effect of different urban environments on their health outcomes? So we have published a study funded European Commission based on cohort study. So a cohort is basically a group of women, of pregnant women that were recruited. And then we conducted regular follow-up of the women during pregnancy and then the child at different ages. And now for most of the courts, the children are around 16 years old. So we have around 5,000 children from seven European cities in four European countries. So UK, Spain, France, and Greece. We have measured the urban environment indicators at their home. So it's not about the child, it's only about the home. We did not consider the school or the commuting roads. It's only the home. And when the children were around four and five years old, we measured some motor function and cognitive abilities using validated tests conducted by psychologists. So as motor function, we divided them in two groups. So first, the gross motor function, which involves large muscle. It's our ability to walk, to run, to crawl. Fine motor function will require more small muscle. It's more about how you will be able to write, to draw, also to play in the instrument. For cognitive abilities, it's more about how you are able to, to communicate and to receive information with words. So we can divide it in two nonverbal abilities. It's the capacity of decoding information and verbal abilities. It's more about speaking, using words in an appropriate manner. So what did we find? In line with previous research, we observed that the air pollution, so more air pollution, was associated with lower fine motor abilities. So it was confirmation of what was already reported by previous studies. We observed that some built environments and natural spaces indicators were associated with lower verbal abilities, so the higher connectivity and higher land use diversity were associated with lower verbal abilities. The more greenness you had around your home was associated with higher verbal abilities. 
And here we did not find any association with gross motor and nonverbal liabilities. So it could mean that there is no effect of the urban environment. Of that, we were not able to show effects because the tests were not specific enough or we did not have a larger sample size, even if 5,000 children is a large number, even for an epidemiological state. And without asking you to be too anecdotal about it, how drastic were these outcomes? What, for example, were some of the detrimental effects, tangibly speaking? What did you see as far as the children's diminished capacity? So at an individual level, the effects are very small. It's not a clinical effect. So it's only a decrease of score. It's not a pathology. The children, most of them were fine. The problem is more at the population level. If you consider a large group of children, let's say in a city, and all of them have difficulty to write and speak, even if it's very little effect, they may have some difficulties to learn during the schooling. So even if the effect is small, because we are all exposed to urban exposures, it may have an effect at the population level. The other problem is the consequences are shown there. Because here we are speaking of four, five years old. In our study, we did not consider school-age children. So that's what we want to do next. To see if this effect are permanent or not. Like if later in age, we can observe the same effect or not. Maybe it's just a delay. So it will give insights about the future, what we need to do. And to state what I think is one of the most interesting findings very clearly, you found a positive association between proximity to natural environments and green space and higher capacity, cognitively speaking. Is that right? We observed that the more greenness you had around your home during pregnancy and first year of childhood, the highest will be the, the verbal abilities. So it's quite reassuring. And it's also shown that the urban environment can be beneficial for cognitive abilities, not just bad factors such as air pollution and noise. The green spaces in particular can be very beneficial for the, the child health. So we need to promote more green spaces around home in cities to ensure better urban environments. You just touched on this and you anticipated my next question. In light of this finding or the all of the findings of your paper really i can't help but wonder whether they validate to some extent the naysayers i referenced earlier who think that cities are really just not very well suited to raising children do you think that that takeaway has merit or is misplaced for me cities were not designed for children well, not designed for human neither. It's mostly for cars, for traffic. So it's not surprising for me that we observe that they are not well suited for children. But we can do things. We can reduce the place of the car. We can change our cities to be a better place for children. So, in fact, now we know what to do to decrease the place of the cars, to improve the opportunity for active exercise, to network, to create the proximity to facilities. So we know what to do. So even if so far it's not the case, we can do things to promote a child-friendly environment. And as I said before, 
even if in suburban and rural areas, we are not sure that they're more child-friendly than are the cities. Because if you live in a rural areas, but all the facilities, the school, the daycare, are 30 minutes drive from your home, you will put your child into a car. So he or she will not move. He or she will not do physical activity. And even in a car, we are exposed to air pollution. We're in the middle of the air pollution. So it's not a solution to say, okay, I will live in a population-free area. In a blog post you wrote in January summarizing your paper, you concluded with a powerful passage, which despite your disclaimer that you're not an urban planner, it reads a lot like an urban planner's manifesto. And I'd just like to read that passage briefly now. You wrote, As the world continues to urbanize, countries will face challenges in meeting the needs of their populations, including housing, transportation, and basic services such as education and healthcare. City policies need to ensure access to infrastructure and social services for all, focusing on the needs of the most vulnerable populations, such as children, for housing, education, healthcare, and a safe environment. And here is where you conclude, the health of the population should form the basis of urban planning. With that in mind, what lessons would you say your research offers to those charged with designing our cities, such as policymakers, as we move into the future? Well, nowadays, half of the worldwide population live in city, and it's expected that in 2050, 70% of the population will live in cities. So I'm afraid that raising a child in a population-free area will be a privilege. It's already a privilege. So we need to understand what to do to make our city a better place for children. And if it is a better place for children, it will be a better place for everyone. I think there is an increasing awareness of this need. So I think things are moving slowly, but they're moving in the right direction. So yeah, I hope in the next decade, we will see that cities will be more easy to live for a child, that children will be able to play, to cross in the streets. I don't think that's the case nowadays. Anne-Claire Pinter, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Max. This has been City Speak with Max Masudafarkas, produced in partnership with Urbanized Media with audio production and music by Greg Gordon-Smith. Stay tuned for our next episode. Mm-hmm.